Over the past two decades, the world has seen a dramatic rise in the prevalence rates of individuals being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Scientists and medical professionals have been doing research into many areas to help explain this rapid increase in diagnosis. One of the primary areas of focus has been on environmental risk factors. You're listening to ReachMD. I'm Paul Rakuski, your host. And with me today is Craig Neuschaefer, PhD, Professor, Director of the A.J. Drexel Autism Institute and Associate Dean for Research at the Drexel Dorn Seif School of Public Health. Welcome, Dr. Neuschaefer. Thanks. Glad to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure. I am an epidemiologist by training. Epidemiologists study the distribution and determinants of disease in populations. Most folks associate epidemiologists with epidemic and think about infectious diseases, but epidemiologists study a range of health conditions, including chronic conditions and developmental conditions like autism. So getting into our topic today, why have researchers dedicated so much time and resources to studying environmental risk factors as they relate to autism spectrum disorder. I'll counter your question a little bit and point out that I really don't think relative to other lines of research in autism, there has been so much time and resources devoted to environmental risk factors. The study of environmental risk factors in connection to autism is really a relatively new field. Looking back over the history of autism research, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the first couple of decades after autism was first described, the focus was on psychogenic potential risk factors, issues of parenting style, and those contributors actually were not linked at all to autism risk. So the early decades were spent looking at an entirely, down sort of entirely the wrong road. In the 80s and 90s, there was a shift to looking at genetic risk factors for autism prompted by some seminal work, some early twin studies that showed that autism is highly heritable. And, and for those couple of decades, the 80s and 90s, the focus and the hope was that we would discover a couple of major autism risk genes. And, and that just didn't pan out. It turns out that the genetics of autism was very complicated. And when you think about complexity in genetics, one of the things you think about is the interplay of genetic susceptibility and environmental factors. And it's really only been in the last couple of decades that there's been attention paid to that environmental component. So talking about those environmental components, one of the risk factors often discussed is parental age. What does the current research show on that topic? Yeah, so parental age is interesting. Increased parental age is associated with a number of neurodevelopmental conditions, and studies are pretty consistent that there is a positive association with autism risk. So in other words, increasing age of parents, either moms or dads, so increasing maternal or paternal age, is associated with some elevation in autism risk. So typically what's done, or one way of looking at those numbers, is to look at a highest parent age group. So for dads, that's usually dads who are 50 or above. And for moms, that's usually moms who are in their 40s. And if you look at the summary of studies that have been done, for those older dads, there's about a 66% increased risk of autism when you compare the dads who are over 50 to young dads, say dads who are in their 20s. For moms, if you look at that highest group, 40 to 49, the increased risk is somewhat smaller, somewhere in the 10% to 50% increased range. Now, 
those numbers, 66%, 50%, they sound pretty large, and they have been replicated and have been found to be statistically significant. But one thing to bear in mind is when the baseline risk of autism in the population is at about 1.5%, it's fairly low, even though we know that autism is a lot more common than we thought it was maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, still about 1.5% of the individuals we believe have autism. So if you talk about increasing that risk by 50% or 60%, you're still talking about a relatively small risk, even in those high parental age risk groups, maybe a couple of percent. So keeping on the subject of parenting, one of the other risk factors often talked about is related to pregnancy. So can pregnant women continue to take medication during their term? So this is another topic that's uh, been studied fairly thoroughly in the last decade, although I think there are probably more questions here remaining than there are with respect to parental age. The choice of taking medications for some kind of existing health condition for moms during pregnancy is very complicated. And women who are pregnant should always do a careful re-examination of the medications they're taking in consultation with their physician. Because obviously, you're taking medications for an indication, and the benefits being received for that medication can potentially outweigh any risks that may be associated with taking that medication. In autism research, the focus has been on a few different classes of medications, anti-epileptics, antidepressives, and anti-asthmatic medications. And there are various sort of biologic mechanisms, uh, hypotheses as to why exposure to those drugs could have an effect on the developing brain in a, in a manner that might be consistent with increasing autism risk. The data, though, on the number of studies that have been done has been not perfectly consistent and the problem that we have in these kinds of studies is it's very difficult to unpack the risk that might be associated with the medication use from any risk that could be associated with the underlying condition. So, for example, moms who are affected by depression and are taking antidepressives during pregnancy, some of the risks that we observe associated with that medication taking could be correlated to the underlying condition itself, the depression. It could be the physiologic effects of depression, or it could be the underlying genetic architecture of depression might have something in common with the genetic architecture of autism. So figuring out ways in, in epidemiologic studies to unpack, untangle those effects is very challenging. So this is an area where there's been some suggestion of increased risk, but there's still some limitations in the body of research that need to be worked out. And again, making decisions about stopping to take medication based on research like this is very premature, and, and moms, pregnant women, should really engage in careful conversations with their personal physicians when they're thinking about whether or not their prescription medication behavior should be altered because of this kind of developing research. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm your host, Paul Rakuski, and I'm speaking with Dr. Craig Neuschafer. We're talking about environmental risk factors in autism spectrum disorder. So continuing the conversation about pregnancy, one of the other areas that is talked about quite often as well in risk factors is illness that happens during pregnancy and potentially taking medications like antibiotics or other areas. Has there been much study in this space? And if so, what risk factors have been seen there? 
Yeah, well, well, so I alluded to that when we were talking about the last question, separating out the effects of medications that might be taken in response to an illness from a risk associated with the underlying illness itself is very challenging. So what do we know about risks associated with underlying illness in pregnancy? And what do we know in general about suboptimal conditions in pregnancy? So this is a topic that has been looked at for quite a while, and the research is fairly consistent in a general sense. So what I mean by that is, different ways of accounting for suboptimal uh, conditions in pregnancy, different ways of scoring how well a pregnancy is going, taking into account chronic conditions that mom might have, taking into account signs that there might be difficulties in the pregnancy, gestational diabetes, bleeding during pregnancy, and also taking into account indicators like preterm delivery or low birth weight, that something was not quite right during the pregnancy. Researchers have looked at the range of those kinds of pregnancy problems, and typically studies find some association with increased autism risk. Studies of any one of those factors I just named are often inconsistent, but in aggregate, complications during pregnancy do seem to be associated with increased autism risk. Now, the question is, what's going on there? Is it that early changes associated with whatever pathophysiologic process or underlying autism, very early changes, lead to increased autism risk and also lead to these adverse pregnancy conditions, right? That would mean that we're not seeing a true causal connection between these conditions and autism. They're just statistically linked. Or what could be going on are these conditions are increasing autism risks through some kind of common mechanism that we don't yet fully understand. So there's no overwhelming evidence for a single medical condition during pregnancy or pregnancy complication being linked with the autism risk, but the collection of problems in pregnancy. More problems in pregnancy tends to be associated with higher autism risk. Is there a causal link there or do those pregnancy complications and autism share some common antecedent cause? We don't quite know yet. And that's a very important and active topic for future studies. So those questions we're now relating about illness and other areas of things that we're taking ourselves. What it comes to when we're talking about nutrition and smoking and other things that we do during pregnancy that don't have any complications or other indicators. What kind of impact are we seeing as it relates to autism spectrum disorder? Yeah, so when we think about chronic conditions in general, we wonder about these lifestyle factors, diet, smoking, alcohol consumption. And for autism risk, and especially when thinking about that prenatal period when the developing brain is particularly vulnerable, there has been some attention paid to these kinds of lifestyle factors. And there are a few things that we think we know. Smoking in pregnancy, while it's ill-advised for many other reasons, does not seem to be associated with increased autism risk. And perhaps as we talk about some other potential risk factors, I'll circle back to that body of research in a bit. But the totality of the evidence around the studies that have looked at smoking and autism risk, they tend to show no effect. As far as diet and pregnancy goes, Early days in research there, but there have been in the past five or six years studies that have looked at folic acid supplementation. Folic acid supplementation is recommended for pregnant women. Folic acid supplementation has been proven to decrease the risk of neural tube defects. So it's something that has some neurodevelopmental benefit. So there was some interest in seeing whether or not 
there might also be effects on autism risk. And a few studies have in fact found that women who take folic acid supplements around the time of conception uh, do have about 40% uh, reduction in autism risk. There have very recently been some, some studies that have not replicated that effect, so we're still learning, but there is some plausibility because of what we know about folic acid, the one carbon variant metabolism system, and neurodevelopment in general. So a little bit more work needs to be done to confirm that protective effect, but folic acid supplementation is already something that's very strongly recommended for other reasons. Other nutrients, polyunsaturated fatty acids, vitamin D, there's interest in looking to see what effects they may have on autism risk and developing brain in general, but much less is known about that. Well, thank you, Dr. Neuschafer, for joining us today. It's been my pleasure, sir. My thanks again to my guest, Craig Neuschafer, Ph.D., Professor, Director of the A.J. Drexel Autism Institute and Associate Dean for Research at the Drexel Dorrance Sife School of Public Health. We've been discussing autism spectrum disorder. Be sure to visit our series at ReachMD.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series. I've been your host, Paul Rakuski, and thank you for listening.